And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So when I say the word newspaper, does that make you want to run and grab a dictionary? And by dictionary, of course, I mean look it up online to see what the heck a newspaper is. Well, don't worry, because we're going to explain them today, because this episode is on local newspapers and the eccentric and sometimes brilliant owners who operate them, because there are some really interesting stories about what goes on in your local community and how important these newspapers are to keeping the fabric of that community together. Uh, And, you know, I grew up in a small town, so this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, So I can't wait to talk about their newspaper, uh, as well as several others across this great country, specifically in the state of Illinois, uh, with Dave Hoekstra, the author of Beacons in the Darkness. So let's get right into this. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. I I imagine for you, Dave, and I I don't want to speak for you here, but this has to be very exciting because this interview marks your official entry into the Fascinating Nouns Two-Timers Club. Now, being called a two-timer in real life, negative connotation, on this show, one of the greatest achievements you can possibly accomplish. So, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, it's, I know it's a surprise. I didn't mean to spring it on you, but... I'm very honored. I'm yeah. very, very honored. It's very nice. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I mean, this is, this is a lot of fun. So, last time you were on the show... People can check it out in the archives. We discussed your time kind of traveling around the U.S. in an RV, uh, the Bluebird, uh, if my mem- memory serves. Still sitting in my driveway. You know, I haven't been driving it that much. Um, I had a squirrel's nest in there this winter. I had to go. Yeah. <laughs> Do squirrels make nests? Yeah, they did. I, yeah, I, learned, yeah, I didn't know was, that. That's cool. It was, it was, uh, it was very traumatic for me. That's how my winter's been going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got a, you got a little buddy to go with you now. I mean, yeah, now right. you can travel around. Well, you know what's. In all seriousness, anybody, yeah. they do. I, I had to make sure of this. They do chew. chew. Well, I lived in the city and we had rats in the city and they chew the wires, but these squirrels didn't chew any wires. So the van. Oh, the that's van, interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you coated your wires in peanut butter, you might be in a different situation yeah. here. Yeah, but luckily, tough. yeah, luckily you don't. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, we may get into squirrels later on. But my goal is <laughs> to talk about, um, you know, something totally different, which is the newspaper industry, uh, a symbol of a bygone era, let's say, similar to traveling around the country in an RV in some ways. Uh, you know, the book is called Beacons in the Darkness. And you were talking about small, small town, family owned newspapers. Um, and, and, you know, just as, a, as an, a quick side note here, when you were traveling across the country, did you pick up any local newspapers to get that, you know, the, the, the flavor to immerse yourself in the local culture? Well, that's a good question. Um, I always, whenever I've traveled, um, it's just, and maybe it's because of my newspaper background, my whole mm. life in journalism, but I always get a kick out of going to a small town yeah. and buying, buying the newspaper. You know, and number one, I always did it, well, two things. I always did it to see 
what was going on, like, you know, what kind of concerts were in town. Sure. I'm a big sports fan, so if there's minor league baseball or small town stuff like that, I, I would check it out for that. Then I'd read, you know, there's always wacky small town news and obituaries. So right. just always <laughs> been a fan of, like, always been, I mean, obituaries are really big in small towns. You know, really big. I mean, my grandma would always tell me, I mean, she read them religiously. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a small town. Uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you, you know, I knew the funeral director. Everyone did. I went to school with the daughter of the funeral director and they handled. I mean, everyone who dies goes through, you know, two or three different family owned funeral homes. So it's very close knit. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's interesting. So, yeah, small town newspapers have always been part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. um, when I got the idea for this book, I mean, I'd done, um, you know, I've done several books. But we did very well with a book I did on Midwest supper clubs. And mm -hmm. yep. uh, the, the template for that was multi-generational supper clubs. What's it like for two, three, four generations, you know, four generations of people to keep a place alive? So I, I wondered what would happen if we were to apply that template to small town newspapers. And that's kind of what my idea was for, for this book. Oh, that's that's interesting. So. So basically your love of uh, newspapers coupled with the cool format you came up with kind of where that was the genesis of this particular book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do want to before we get too far ahead here, Dave, you know, I don't want to be I don't want to talk about something that, you know, people may not have any idea of. So for newspapers, you know, for anyone who's listening, a newspaper is basically a stack of physical paper. Uh, I believe the, this is crazy, specifically designed, the paper specifically designed for newspapers and that you would subscribe to these things, you know, and, and they would, you basically, yesterday's news would be delivered on your doorstep, usually by child labor. I'd come to your house every single morning or afternoon. You know, and basically, Dave, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is like one step up from carving new, you know, carving news onto a stone tablet and having it dropped off or petroglyphs were, you know, cave paintings, right? Child labor, it's worse when there's somebody my age delivering your newspaper. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, you know, um, well, it's in the book. I mean, the internet and corporate stuff took took things over, but there was yeah. such a charm. I thought, you know, I zeroed in on Southern Illinois. Um, um, there was a newspaper uh, from my mom's side of the family. I remember we, we, would, we would go to this town called Taylorville. And they would, yeah, the, it was still an afternoon paper, which those were one of the first things that went away were afternoon papers. You know, morning papers yeah. lasted longer than that. But I remember very vividly how the paper would be all folded up really in a neat way and they'd throw it on the porch. And yeah. again, it would be back to, they'd have box scores. We were, we were visiting always down there in the summer and they'd have box scores from baseball and I'd read yeah. them. And it was very, very romantic for it. But yeah, it was a very physical thing, you know, it was just like. I still like vinyl, you know. I, I like having vinyl around my house and picking up the vinyl. I still, I'm still a newspaper junkie. In my living room, I've got stacks of unread newspapers. You know, I mean, I, I read online, but so are you I, a collector like of newspapers or a hoarder, well, or how does it go? That's usually the typical sign of hoarders when they got stacks of old newspapers. I don't want to out you or anything, but uh, get the authorities after. Yeah, yeah. If you want me to call somebody, I will. <laughs> but no, yeah. Well, a collector. I mean, I've got. Of course, I save all the stuff. Like you know, I, I'm old enough to have a newspaper when um, JFK got shot. Um, oh, that's I've got cool. Newspapers when the Cubs won, won the World Series, I, I save yeah. all that yeah. stuff. But I mean. I clip. I clip articles. I just clipped David Cros. I don't know why I clipped David Crosby's oh, yeah. obituary the other day. You know, and yeah. um, but it's a very physical thing for me. I think it is for especially for older people. You know, um, but it, it goes beyond that. It just goes beyond, uh, and we can get into this with the book. It just goes beyond the trust of a of a of a 
of a family newspaper or an organized newspaper or a place that's not online. You don't know what you're getting online many times, you know, so... What, what is your source of news? You know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because we talk about newspapers, but we're really talking about the journalistic entity, right? The newspaper is just the medium. And I think we, we kind of get those those things kind of mixed up, right? And when I, because when I, I don't think of newspapers as being hand delivered. I mean, look, I had a paper route. You know, we talk about child labor. I still have yeah. nightmares about the paper route I went on. It was probably much too big for me. I remember my mom helping me out and going out in the station wagon and the freezing yeah, right. cold, yeah. throwing them out. The greatest hand warmer I'd ever received, uh, I got from, from the paper route. It was a local newspaper. I think it was the Joliet Herald uh, was what I delivered. So, you know, I mean, Herald, that was the Copley newspaper. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Family. I started to roar news right up. Yeah, right. And they're, you know, one of the they were one of the biggest, um, you know, cities in in Illinois. So it was a pretty, you know, it was a decent newspaper. Uh, but you know, what's interesting about you know the connection to newspapers, I think, is going away. You know, I mean, as the generations move on, I think the best move for any type of paper medium is uh, is going digital, right? I mean, it's you can move it around quickly. It's cheaper, but also you don't. It's it's you're not as wasteful. On the other hand, having that real connection is important to some people like yourself, because I know that you have, you know, I want to talk about how this connection in newspapers is very personal, because obviously you have a career in journalism. But I think your, you know, your father had like four newspapers a day or anything. So this is something that's very important to, you know, as you mentioned, it's in the fabric of your DNA. So tell me about like having so many newspapers and how that kind of led you in a journalism career. Well, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. Okay, well, first on the four newspapers. Yeah, he. uh, he um he worked downtown Chicago. He worked for Swift and Company, but uh, we lived out in since you know the area. We lived out in Naperville. Yeah, and he, you know the, 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 there were four newspapers in Chicago. There were two morning papers and two afternoon papers, and he'd bring them all home. Let me quickly. I don't mean to pause you. What just tell like, just very quickly difference between an afternoon and a and a, and a morning newspaper? Because I'm guessing people may not actually know what that is. Well, it was yeah, it was really geared to the the work workforce and the work shifts. I mean, it, there'd be two papers for people coming in on trains and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and coming in the city or you know coming in on the L in the morning, and there'd be deadlines for people who would. Well, I remember going to Union Station um, when I was lived in the city, and you know going to visit my parents. If I took the train out to Naperville, and there'd be guys hawking newspapers right in front of the train, and that would be the afternoon. It'd be the afternoon, and the afternoon paper would have. The stock, the late stock markets. Oh, have the late, you know, Cubs were still playing during the day, so it would maybe have the late baseball mm-hmm. scores and stuff like that. It would have breaking news. You know, they, you know, they had like, I'm, I'm talking off the top of my head, but maybe three different deadlines. So it wasn't just really all old news. They were trying to keep, you know, it was all before computers and stuff. I imagine the afternoon newspaper must have been more current, right? Because the morning yeah, paper is all stuff overnight. Yeah, now that we're talking about it, I know very vividly the, the late stock markets were a big thing on the afternoon newspaper. And people yeah. would check that. You know, the, the, the latest stock market report they could get, they'd throw in that afternoon newspaper. You know, somebody died and stuff like that. So it was sure. still breaking news in, in that and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big deal. And, and they were just laying around the house and I'd read them. You know, I was editor of my high school paper in Naperville. So it was that influenced me. Well, let's um, not forget about your column, Writing Wrongs. I mean, writing wrongs. yeah, that was a Naperville Central <laughs> oh, yeah. High School paper. You know, you, yeah. you you worked with the Fox, a previous episode that we yeah. did. I'll put links yeah, to it. You know? Right. You know, and that's a whole nother thing. But, yeah, yeah. They, they, they did let us do political stuff where other people <laughs> were writing about the football team and cheerleaders and stuff. We were we were doing political <laughs> 
But, you know, um, yeah, it was just, you know, I mean, it was like a big deal. I mean, Sunday, the Sunday paper, I just got tomorrow. Yeah, this is what the thing I still do. I just, before I talked to you, I went out and got the Sunday Tribune, you know, it's so thin now. 575 for the, the Sunday Tribune, Chicago wow. Tribune. Nothing in it. And, and I remember when we were kids, man, you'd get the Sunday Tribune or the Wait, Sunday Saturday, Sunday. by the way. Yeah, this? I know. You're, I always like the early edition. Back in the, oh. I'm, again, I'm old school. Because in, in in the, um, it used to be back in the day, you'd get the or Saturday, the Sunday edition on Saturday. It'd be more feature stories and stuff like that. And uh, you're like blowing millennial and Gen Z minds right now. Like they're like, what is this? What is this guy talking about? Yeah, did he get it on his horse and buggy? Well, what's going on? But the paper, by the point, the paper would be so big. I mean, yeah. we'd we'd share it. You know, somebody get the comics, somebody get the food section, we get the travel section. It was a, it was just a. It was a really deep dive into the world. It was really exciting, really fun. And, yeah, that doesn't exist in print anymore, you know. It it was kind of an event because I remember going with my grandparents. We would go to church on Sunday, and then my grandpa would pick up the the Chicago Tribune and come back and divvy it everything out. I mean, it was an event. Then you spent an hour or two reading the newspaper, which is something that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I went to Vegas to see – Rod Stewart uh, in October. And I went. I went to. Mar- I did Rod Stewart, and I went to Martha Stewart's restaurant. Isn't that clever? Oh, well, Rod that's Stewart weird. Mar- no relation. <laughs> but anyway, on the plane, I was the only one on the plane reading a physical newspaper. You know, yeah. maybe, you know. But I, I just really like it. I really do. I bet you were on someone's Instagram. I bet someone took a picture of you. And were like, "What year am I in?" <laughs> you, you were memed. But, <laughs> but the bigger thing is. Um, the bigger thing is. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making fun of the whole you know, physical aspect of it. And I, I, you know, I read the New York Times online and all that. But the bigger thing and the bigger issue that's really timely is trust. And you go, yeah. and, you know, you go to these small towns and my 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 uh, my thread at the beginning was going to be Hillsborough, Illinois. Well, they're still in the book a lot, Hillsborough, Illinois. But yeah. the thing is, yeah. there's trust. People actually still I mean, everybody here in Chicago, the, the newspaper people are all pretty much working remote. They were even doing that before the pandemic. But in Hillsborough, you go in there and you go in the you go in the office. You drop off a birth notice. You drop off a death notice. You see the publisher in church. You see the editor in a bar. You see somebody at the barber shop. And I think that whole human connection is really important in a, an environment where people are having a lot of mistrust about the media. And I think I think the fact that these people are out there, and it's just not Hillsborough; it's a lot of small towns, and being held accountable for what they write. Yeah. And hear and yeah. see their sources. I think that's really, really important. And I think the human connection can't be understated in in gathering news. You know, it's interesting because I so right before we got on, I'm from I'm from a small town, uh, Braidwood, Illinois, the Braidwood Journal, which is now a member of the free press, press newspapers. I didn't know if you actually picked up that or the yeah, Coal City Current, yeah. you know. Yeah, right. I know we're brave. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's where I went. Yeah, I went to high school. And it's funny. I, I love being a part of a small town. It is extraordinarily unique. But it's also one of these kind of interesting things where I was never really accepted into the small town. You know, I lived there for, for a while. I still have friends there. But I was never really accepted. But enough so that I it was kind of like an observer. So if you go back to reunions or go back into town, I can kind of be a th- both a part of the town, but also a third party kind of checking it out uh which is kind of itching so i picked up uh, right before we got on i checked out the online version of the braidwood journal and it's kind of interesting because what you get 
is this snapshot of what's happening in your community. And instantly, after reading a couple of articles, I felt connected again. You know, the apparently the the um, the Braidwood, you know, Comets are 9-0, and uh, along with Coal City, uh, you know, the Coal City Colors and the Wilmington Wildcats. Uh, they're all going into the playoffs for the first time. And I'll tell you, when I was in high school, I don't think they won nine games, period. But, you know, there's stuff right. about what's happening in local politics. But, you know, to your to your point, and we'll get to this, I think, the, the bigger issue, what you're talking about here is that connection to the community instantly, Dave. When I read that online, I felt it all come back and that information about people around you is a connection. And you don't get that from online sources like Facebook, where I see the same people online on Facebook saying things that are pushing them apart. But the newspaper brings everyone together. That's a very good point. Um, They didn't have a paywall, though. huh? You got on for free. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. The process of doing this book, um, when I started, it took me about three years to do the book, but then even just recent, but Hillsborough, a very small town, they mm-hmm. put up a paywall. So, you know, and the older people, you know, they, they get befuddled at that, you know, like, I'm not going to pay for my news, you know, <laughs> news, no matter what you go, whether you, whatever model you do, a paywall, nonprofit, you know, news mm-hmm. isn't free stuff to pay to get the news out. Yeah. But it was interesting. Yeah. You got in for free. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to check it out. I mean, it was, it was really interesting um, because... You know, I mean, I even remember, you know, you mentioned clippings. I mean, a friend of mine just sent me a clipping from high school that she had. Uh, she's going through some of her parents' stuff and pulled out a clipping of both of us, you know, winning some local, you know, math lead or some science, some dorky thing I was involved in. But there are these it's a connection to what's current at that moment. You know, I, the joke in movies is, you know, someone's held for ransom and they take a picture with them holding up the newspaper. I mean, it was. That's right. You know what I mean? Like it's a timestamp. It was so official, Dave, and we don't have that anymore. Right. Hey, you look at the whoever wins the Super Bowl or when Georgia won. You see, after the game, they're all holding up the newspaper. You know, the newspapers yeah. are. Very, yeah, it's it's it is. It's it's. I just I don't think the printed newspaper is ever going to go away. I think it's still going to continue to morph. Maybe you'll see a monthly, a monthly like magazine style uh, newspaper and stuff. But I think there's always going to be an audience for a, a printed newspaper. But yeah, the. The digital is the way to go. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I was at the Sun-Times long enough where we were experimenting with digital things. They tried to do – sometimes they tried to do – and I was involved in this. We tried to do little mini documentaries, you know, like mm. two-minute documentaries for the – and people really didn't respond to that, you know. So they still find it right. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because some of the bigger papers are figuring it out, right? Like the New York Times I think is probably – the pioneer in this because they've got podcasts. I mean, I listen to the daily, yeah, right. which is, you know, it's now audio. I don't have to read it. I'm listening to, but it's one story, but it's a deep dive by respected journalists, you know, at a, yeah. at a major paper. And they're doing that. The LA times is a little less, it's a little behind the times, but th- that I think uh, there's a lot of interactive. There's other ways to do it besides a physical newspaper. And it also doesn't have to be where people just read it online. There are ways to do it. Um, but, you know, we're going to get into one story where one of the local guys bought iPads for everybody, which is yeah, which is bananas to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But, but you know, I mean, even just really quickly, I don't want to go past this. When I was in college, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm in a unique generation, Dave, because, you know, when, where I grew up during the very specific time period, I'm, I, I had a, a, an analog childhood 
but a digital adulthood. So, I mean, when I was in college, I read the Northern Star and I use, uh, you know, their paper of choice. So I was connected to this as well. Right now, there's the, the Larchmont Chronicle, which is a local newspaper where I am. And I know you should read that. And every time it comes in, I pick that up as well. So I'm unique in that I have a connection that I that I had as a child. But these things get replaced, Dave. And so what you're seeing is a lot of, as the older generation is moving on, the younger generation isn't picking it up. So I'm curious, you know, and you didn't really talk about this in your book, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but what do you see happening to, to, you know, the younger people, people who are, you know, zero to to 30, where are they getting their news and where are they going to get their news in 30 years? Well, that's a good question. Um, like I said, the, um, I don't know the answer to the, the, the end game is to make sure that news is a trusted source. Right. And that's that scares me. Like you just said, I mean, there's all these fragmented groups on, on social media and stuff. So you have to know you have to spend time and invest time and probably money into making sure your news comes from a, a, a trusted source, you know, um, and you just have to research, you know, and, and just find the, the people you you know that are, are doing the job and working the pavement and you know and 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 how they're reporting the news you and i talked about this before we went live you know what is their style of reporting the news yeah. is it is it is it objective is it fair is it opinionated you know yeah. i i'm not a fan of real opinionated straight news I'm, I'm i'm okay with obviously opinionated columns and opinionated editorials yeah but i don't like I don't like regular news copy that has opinion in it so i think you really have to spend the answer to your question i think you really have to Weed it all out and find out what news source you can trust. And I don't think that, let me say one thing. The other thing I want to say is I don't think you necessarily, it doesn't have to be a thing that I think there's interesting to look at all sides of a story. And that's how I was trained. And I don't think it, the source has to be something that's t- totally aligned with your political beliefs or something. Back in the day, I'd be on these road trips. It would well, it would drive me crazy, but I'd tune into Rush Limbaugh just to, just to hear what the other side's saying. You know, I, yeah. I like balance. I believe, you know, and so I think just you really, I think it's a re- the responsibility for the consumer to really research where their news is coming from. Yeah, see, you know, here's the th- I hear that a lot, Dave, and I, and I think you are right. People do the onus should be on the person to figure out where they're getting their news source. But I think. What's interesting is we're living in a time that I would argue is as and I think even in the book, you mentioned this uh, or some you, you quote somebody. But right now we're in a, an information revolution. What's happened sure. with the Internet is on par with the Gutenberg printing press. Right. right I exactly. mean, it's you're talking about information being proliferated around the world instantaneously. Information is not news necessarily, right? You know, right, I get all the terrible stuff that comes out of the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but because it's so fast, and because people, we were training people to want, you know, that that instantaneous whatever the dopamine rush. You got people on social media who love getting their own likes, and they love that feeling, and they just want to read a story that tells them exactly what they already believe to be true, and you can do that right. instantaneously. So what you're doing is you're appealing to someone at their base. And people don't want to necessarily be challenged. You have that on top of, and I think you can, you know what I'm talking about here, definitions are getting twisted. 
So there are right. there are sources that are calling themselves, they're using the word news, and in no way, shape, or form are they news. In the same right. way that the Federal Reserve and the Federal Express have nothing to do with the federal government, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. And, and, you know, the we, we name bills after patriots, and in no way, shape, or form are they good for the people. So it's yeah, this right. twisting of death, not only the twisting in, of, of definitions, but also the misuse of terms that I think is extraordinarily confusing for the average person to do the things that are required and to do the things that you're suggesting. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not putting this on you. I know. I just put the, like, you got to solve all the, oh, the news no, problems, I mean, but it's, you know, examples around here, there was a, during the elect, during the um, gubernatorial election, there was a, there was a, a Republican group that put out like a fake newspaper and it was all slanted toward uh, the Republican agenda and anti-Democrat agenda. And it was pretty, pretty bad. I actually was getting, it was the free, I was getting it delivered here at my house where I live. But then the um, conventional news sources, I'm, I'm talking about, that would be the Tribune and the Sun-Times, wrote stories about how this was a fake newspaper. I think it was also on, on some radio stations and stuff. So they got vetted out, and it's, I'm not getting it anymore. I, I don't know if the, if the funding went away for that, but it was like a Republican uh, political group that was putting out this fake newspaper. So, um, and I think also the barrier to entry is so low. I didn't mean to interrupt here, but the barrier of entry is so low that you can put out a fake newspaper. I, I put yeah, out a right. newsletter. You know, people yeah, put right. out. I don't have any particular agenda except to entertain and to inform. But if you have nefarious, you know, nefarious agenda, it's extraordinarily easy to do this. Or YouTube. Yeah. You and I are going to be on YouTube in a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah. anyone could do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. special yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the scary yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, but to, to switch gears a little bit, to get out, to get us out of the doom and gloom pit here, one of the interesting things is that I think local news is still very important. For example, uh, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. I'm catching up on this show on Vice called uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And one of the one of the episodes is about the Jimmy Snuka, uh, this murder that happened. Uh, well, it was a death that happened in the 80s. This guy, Jimmy Snuka, was a wrestler. He kind of got off. And then this local uh, the at the um, the morning call in Allentown, Pennsylvania, this guy started snooping around, wrote an article about it in the local newspaper that was picked up nationally and resulted in Jimmy Snuka now being having the, the case reopened and he went to trial. I mean, unfortunately, he passed away before he could go through. But this is an example where local news doing the right things, able to catch fire and change the course of a criminal investigation. Yeah, that's and again, it's investment of time and money for that reporter to do that, yeah. you know, a trained reporter and and and. And the uh, newspaper apparently giving uh, him the leeway, him or her, whoever it was, um, leeway to, to do it, to, to take the time to cover a story like that the right way. Yeah. You know? It's not easy and it's not cheap. And I think that because their papers are losing revenue, it is difficult to put that time and effort in. And, you know, you can put out an article about how cute puppies are and get just as many clicks and make just as much advertising money, you know, so it becomes difficult to want to put in and pound that pavement, to, you know, to do the hard work when the easy stuff is, you know, as I said, so easy. Yeah. And there's not and there's nonprofit groups. There's a, move, a movement toward nonprofit stuff. And there's people getting grants and there's organizations yeah. that 
will fund reporters and and help the newspaper pay for their for the reporters and stuff. So that that's an interesting turn. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, one of the things in the book that I thought there were a couple of things that were interesting. First of all, we're going to get into some of the individual papers that have been around since the 1800s, family owned for the, since the 1800s. But a lot because an individual paper is so expensive to run now. You know, with the, with the people you know printing their own paper, writing it, having journalists on 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 staff. It's easier for a large group to come in and own five or ten papers and consolidate everything where you have, right. you know, one advertisement group, one, you know, graphics group or whatever. And that, that makes it easier and more efficient to put out papers and essentially possible to even have these things still exist. Uh, but also you mentioned, you know, we kind of touched on this briefly, but Facebook has kind of become the community newspaper. I mean, it's really more of the community gossip column for uh, the news, but but people are considering it news and it's also how information is spreading and it's a source for people's news. So those two things, I think, are really affecting local news and the family owned aspect of it. You know, I think that that's detrimental uh, in some ways, but I'm curious what you think. Well, I know, um, again, going back to Southern Illinois, it's probably true in other other areas, but there are um Especially in some of these dying towns in in, in southern Illinois, old coal mining towns right. and stuff. Uh, in the book, we talk about the Daily Herald, which is up here, Paddock Publications, going down and buying a cluster of dying newspapers. And then their I think their main motive there was to cluster the advertising and put all the advertising under one umbrella. Right. And right. Uh, and um, I don't know how that's that was kind of a development while I was while I was doing the book. So yeah, I mean it's it's. I kind of, I'm almost kind of at a loss of words, but it is the clustering and, and, and just, you know, keeping, keeping things together. Yeah. Well, when I, and I don't want to sound too dramatic when I say this, but as I was reading your book, it seems like a lot of these papers are dying off. And I was actually, you know, I think in one of the quotes is it's like, you know, you're writing the, you're writing the end of an era while the era is ending. You know, it's like kind of like writing about liveries, the livery industry in, in 1918. You know, I mean, it's like the book is kind of in its own way, the end of, uh, of an era. Like this might be the last book written about newspapers or, you know, local newspapers. And I think it's unfortunate because, as I mentioned before, that local journalism, when that dies, I think journalism in some ways dies. Well, it depends on on the motivation. You know, mm -hmm. um, the elevator pitch I was given as I began this book, it, it was a publisher in Hillsborough. And I did a couple of pre-interviews before I even started the book. And and he um, said, you know, at the end of the day, if we've, if we, we've made a dollar at the end of the year, we've had a good year. You know, okay. Because it was about community. It was about serving the community. And I, it was, it was, I know this quote is in the book a lot. Like a, a, a community is only as strong as this community newspaper. And these guys are really invested in the community. That that comment about if we only made a dollar. You know, when I started in journalism, the uh, Sun Times, and it was, uh, was still a field family. It was still a family newspaper. Uh, right. I, we you talked Joliet. You talk about where I started. My first job was at Aurora Beacon News. That was the Copleys. These families got into it for the common good, for the community. Then yeah. it, it switches over to shareholders and big corporations. I mean, it went, yeah. I don't get the – there's been books written about uh, Gannett and stuff like that. But that's where – you know. then – and I, I live this. I live this at the same time. Then the priority became making money and answering to the, the shareholders and not – so much serving the community. Oh yeah, we can do an editorial. We can do we can do investigative reporting, but it really shifted. Mm -hmm. So 
the thing about the beauty about these small towns, and originally what I wanted to do, the, my, my first idea, and then we decided to cast a wider net, I kind of wanted to do a Friday Night Lights thing just on Hillsborough, just to talk about how the community intertwines with the newspaper, how the community, you, know, you were talking about where you grew up, how the community intertwines with the, mm -hmm. the football team and the churches and stuff. I thought that was really fascinating. It was going to be maybe a 60,000-word book. Now it ended up like 200. It's a big book now. But um, I just think that you have to look at what your motivation is. And yeah. I found in a small survey, what, there's maybe 25 papers in the book. I'm looking at my other 20. A small survey I did, big and little. I mean, we, we have Charleston, South Carolina in there. We have you know a couple in Chicago. Right. What is the motivation? Is it, to, is it really to serve the community or is it to make money? Well, and I think you go. Yeah. I mean, you got to make money in a newspaper, but you know, then you the shareholders get unhappy, and you start laying people off and cutting cutting things, and it turns out to be a bad product. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't. I'm sure you're aware of this, but we live in America, Dave. I mean, you got to yeah. make money to have something exist, unless it's a charity. And some yeah. of the stuff in the book, I think there's an. A lot of and a lot of journalists are like this. A lot of newspaper people are very idealistic, um, both about journalism and about news. And I think that's extraordinarily important. But it's that financial aspect that's difficult. And that's the inevitable uh, hurdle that you have to overcome. Right. I mean, that you have to deal with becoming profitable. Otherwise, you're just doing you know, you're, you're doing a public service. But, you know, you're talking about there's some people in here who have given their lives to this, making $30,000 a year for, you know, two decades, giving up a life. There's one guy who's like in his 50s who was like upset because he'd given his whole life to the paper and didn't have a family yeah. and his mother owned it. Yeah, I mean, it's like th that's a sacrifice. That's not yeah, just yeah. that is a sacrifice. And I don't think you have people who want to do that anymore. And it's a lot to ask, Dave. Yeah, that's a guy who, who talked about it because you can print this. You know, I was talking, thinking about suicide. Yeah. But. You know, I know Doug. Doug actually came and he drove over from Iowa to one of our book release parties here in Chicago. And he, he does it because he loves his community. Yeah. He, he loves his community. I think that's more important to him than he knows he has to make money, but he loves the town he grew up in. Yeah. He could have gone somewhere else, but he just loves that little town of Carroll, Iowa, you know, and he's embedded. That, that's generations. You know, I think he also feels a commitment. I saw this in the Supper Club book. You know, it, 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 you know, he feels commitment to his grandparents and his mom and stuff to keep the, you know, to keep keep the fight alive. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's he's kind of like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. You know, I mean, yeah, he's, right, right. You know, he's stuck around yeah. and is doing a good for the community. But at what cost? You know, um, mm -hmm. but I think there are, you know, in the book, there's kind of a couple of cool gimmicky way. Gimmicky. I don't, I don't mean that in a negative term, but kind of interesting ways, let's say, to combat what's going on in the newspaper world. Uh, there was one in the Cheyenne Post, uh, a newspaper that. It started in 2019. I couldn't believe that. I had to reread that three. I didn't know if you missed a, a couple of. Uh, What's that? Uh, the Cheyenne Post published its first edition in 2019, which I didn't even think was possible. But they made the paper look like it was published in the 1880s, which oh, that yeah. was kind of cool. But right. yeah, that is, who starts yeah, a paper it. in the? In, I, I didn't visit them, but yeah, I found that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, then there was another yeah. one. I think it's the Big Ben Sentinel in El Paso. Those guys are great. Yeah, yeah, it's got they've got like, you know, they bought a paper in 2020. It was like a hipster place. Uh, but they've, you know, they've got like a I think there's a, a coffee shop and it's, you know, there's like yeah, a that's bar. A, that's one of my okay, yeah, that goes back to what we were talking about community. Okay, yeah. these guys, yeah, 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 yeah. these guys, they're hipsters from Brooklyn. They moved to Marfa, Texas. Now Marfa's a hipster town. You know, art galleries and 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 UFO type stuff. I again, I did not I, I talked to those guys a lot on the phone. They're young though. I mean, who 
they're probably in the I don't know it's in the book mid thirties, late thirties, early forties. Anyway, who buys a newspaper at that age leaves Brooklyn to do that? But what they did is, and there was some of this going on before they bought it. They bought it from a Hispanic couple, but um, right, yeah, I remember. They made it as a community center place. I mean, community meeting place. So you you have the newspaper office, and right next to the newspaper office is a coffee shop and a little gift store with local goods. So people come in there. And they have a cup of coffee and a donut or something. They go pay there. They still get the weekly newspaper. They go pay their bill for their newspaper. And again, they meet the editors. They see the they see the reporters. It's that human contact I was talking about. But I think having a um, uh, a newspaper as a community place or being out in the community and doing events here in Chicago, there's a thing called Block Club. They do events now and then and at breweries and stuff. I think getting out there and connecting with your audience is um, – and these are all younger people doing it. You ask about the, the future and, um, and, and it's younger people uh, thinking outside the box like that. You know, we talked about the iPad guy. Yeah. You know, the yeah. thing is when you're, you're in a desperate situation like newspapers are, you've got to throw – 20 things against the wall. Yeah. And if like five of them stick, that's a win. You yeah. know? Some of them are going to fail and it's okay to fail. Yeah. And again, I, I'm not speaking, I, I kind of lean into some memoir stuff in the book. Some people thought I should have done more, but I lived this at the Sun Times. People were afraid to take chances. And you know why they were afraid to take chances? Because of the stockholders and the people above them. You know, they were just didn't want to, you know, so, but you got to take all. And so, I don't know how Hussman's thing, we can talk about the iPad thing. I don't know how it's going, but it was a daring move. It was a funny move. And, you know, yeah. yeah. You want to talk about that? I do really quickly. I want to talk about it, but I want to f- put a little button on this story because I really like that idea of creating it as a community center. And it works here. It may work in some communities, but it's not a business model. But I think you're right. It's that thinking outside the box that makes making, and this is what I said, you know, right off the bat is that making the local news the center. Not the physical medium of newspaper, the center, is what yeah, I think it's good. key to all of this, right? Because no one, everyone wants to get their local news, but the, but you, it's yeah. so tied, this romantic, nostalgic notion that you have to have a physical paper delivered, I think turns a lot of young people off. Like, what do I want to... What am I doing here? But then also on the other side, there are lots of really young people, you know, who love that nostalgia and are really into analog stuff. They're sick of digital technology. You know, Gen yeah. Z super into analog stuff, you know, like I was, as you can see by my shirt, I love the 70s. I didn't grow up in the 70s, but I just yeah. love the style. Uh, so I think that yeah. that's possible. But let's talk about out of the box thinking. Yeah, let, let's talk about um, the iPad experiment. So tell me what, what's the newspaper and how did this come about? Because this is I mean, you want to talk about cutting edge outside the box thinking. This is it. What's the biggest uh, Arkansas paper? It's the biggest one in the state. They're out of Little Rock. And Walter Hussman, he's a big player in the journalism community. He's the publisher there. He bequeathed it. Now his uh, daughter's running the paper. The Democrat Gazette, I believe, right? Yeah, right. Right. And um, he took and he took uh, when I began the book. um, I don't know what the status of it is now, but he he took a little section of um, Arkansas, which I've driven through. It's on the way from Chicago to Memphis. It's called Blytheville, Blytheville, Arkansas. D. Clark, the soul singer, is there uh, from there. So is uh, Jimmy Buffett's keyboardist, Michael Utley. <laughs> anyway, no Blythe, so I've stayed in Blythe. For people who are re- researching <laughs> Jeopardy, that's a trivial pursuit. <laughs> uh, so I know Blytheville. I don't know, I'm guessing it's in the book, maybe 20,000 people. Anyway, mm-hmm. the, the, but the point is, he when he goes there, he goes to Blytheville and he kills the print edition. And um, and I think they have an older demographic in, in Blytheville. There's not a lot, a lot of young hipsters in Blytheville. And he gives everybody in town an iPad. And what he does is they're free. And what he does is he rents. I've stayed at this holiday and he rents a holiday in Blytheville and he trains. I want to pause really quickly. 
I want to back up just to get one detail in there because this he did as a trial version first, which was interesting. And, yeah. and it was only with 200 people. So I don't want people to think that he started yeah. this with 20,000 people because uh, that would yeah, be nuts. Right. But he started with 200 people yeah. and said, basically, if I give you if I give you an iPad, you can have it and you can keep it for free as long as you keep your subscription. And only four people took the deal. So this didn't start yeah. off very, very well. Yeah, he got, yeah, he right. And we talk in the book how he keeps going back and back and back. The funny story that I really I remember um, um, was the uh, older gentleman who was all excited. I, was he in his eight? You probably remember Nin- this ninety-three year old. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, so you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets all excited. He wants to do this, and he goes back to his house. And he doesn't have a Wi-Fi connection in his house. <laughs> but, uh, well, I love it because I was thinking with my grandma because she is still getting cable, right? Like I can't. My grandma's ninety. She's going to be ninety-seven in like a couple of weeks, right? So she has no idea what streaming is. She doesn't know what Wi-Fi is. I people go to her house. Their cell phones don't work. She lives in a black technological hole. So just the idea. Yeah. Like, you know, just to have streaming to explain what is Netflix, but then how do you get Netflix? Those things are so foreign to her that like, you know, so that I thought this was a very funny story. Yeah, right. So, I mean, they had when they were doing the training, they had IT people there. But, um, you know, um, I, I talked to Hussman maybe when the book f- when it first came out. I think they're still doing it. I don't know how well it's doing. I think they still um, I think they still got a, a Sunday edition, a physical version of that. But um, it, the point is that he tried something different. He tried something new. It was kind of kind of a wacky, out of left field thing. He he was very proud of it. Last time I talked to it, it was, they were still doing stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know how much they converted. But um, I like the. I just like people who take chances. You know? well, I thought this was a big deal because iPads aren't cheap. Uh, I think he was. He had um, a pretty good deal. He bought eighteen thousand in eighteen months. So I imagine Apple probably mm-hmm. had a do something for him. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, according to the research, this resulted in more revenue, which I, yeah. I, I mean, if that is, if that's true, this would be a pretty good way to do it because I, I mean, look, I, I used to fall asleep reading books, you know, physical books. I got a Kindle and now I blast through books like nothing. I mean, it's how I can do the show. Cause I can, I mean, before I was a horrible reader. Now I love reading. You ask me, yeah, right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and it's, you know, I'll read a print edition now, but I mean, I, uh, for me, it's fast. It's easy. I can carry one device and I have thousands of books on it. And I think this is the way to go, but it's that it's teaching, you know, that 93 year old story where he gets it to work in the store perfectly, gets home, does not have Wi-Fi because he doesn't know Wi-Fi is that you can't predict that. Yeah, right. But if you can somehow if you can somehow work around that or, you know, some sta- cities are working on free Wi-Fi, this might be the way to do it, because then everyone already has the news, the newspaper. Right. You already have the newspaper. It's just getting it delivered digitally. I, I, I love this idea. I don't know how he pulled it off. But to me, this was my favorite story in the book. I believe he told me, and you can verify this because I believe I think it's also maybe I read this, but I think it's also more attractive to advertisers. They can do more with advertising yep. on the iPad. They can show little videos, and it's, it's. I think it's a good advertising tool. Yeah, um, more more direct advertising. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you mentioned a little bit in there about the types of people who are interested in in using that, but you you you're not losing advertisers. You're just getting different ones. Yeah, right. You know? And who yeah. cares if you're. If you're the ad department, you don't care as long as the bills are getting paid, right? 
Well, if you're, you're selling something and you can, if you're on your iPad, you can click on something and buy buy it right away. You know, right. that's a plus. <laughs> right, right. I mean, look, yeah. one of the problems I'm having with my grandma, she gets these old style catalogs delivered to her with garbage or she calls up those late night numbers. So I don't know that I'd want my grandmother or other 93 year old people getting duped into goofy stuff because it's too easy now. Dave, even if you know what you're doing, it's too easy to click and get that thing delivered to your house with Amazon yeah. Prime and everything. Uh, yeah. But I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned this briefly, the Hillsborough Journal News. I want to talk about this because you, you know, as you mentioned, you almost did a whole book on this newspaper, but this was really in some ways your template for all local newspapers. You you talk about them, they, they're featured heavily in your book. You compare a lot of other newspapers to them. Why why this particular newspaper? And it's, you know, it's run by fifth generation owner, John Gaylor, founded in 1886. Uh, so I can see why this was your template, but I'm curious, why did you pick it? Uh, you know, what was your relation to it and why did it kind of fit the the mold you wanted? Um, the large number of generations involved. Mm -hmm. Um, I went down there, I drove down there a lot. It's, a, it's about, um, it's about 45 miles north of St. Louis. It's about the 35, 40 miles south of Springfield, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, I went down there a lot. I saw what was going on. Um, Smithsonian, it's their one. Of, I, I don't know what number it is. It's 150. They got a big anniversary coming up, coming up in 2023. And the Smithsonian Institution has also discovered Hillsboro mm -hmm. as they're doing a whole series across the country on small town America. Yeah. And they use Hillsboro as one of the models. So they saw the same thing I saw. They saw a dying working class coal. I know there's coal mining down their town in southern Illinois reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. And they reinvent itself by bringing um, uh, new – the paper got very involved with this. I mean they're bringing new businesses in the town. Um, it's a small – 15,000, 20 – it's a small town. I think it's even smaller than that. I think it's like 6,000 or something. No? Am I – Yeah. And um, they got what they call the creative class. They've got – at the time I was there, it did since close down. They had a recording studio. They have a great record store that's still there. Um, they have an old movie theater they restored downtown there, you know. So what I saw to answer your question is I saw a commitment to a community, a, a, communi a community being reborn mm -hmm. and rebirthed. And the newspaper was at the helm of that. They were, you know, there were things that would happen. I remember one time I was interviewing Mike Plunkett, the, um, the uh, editor, publisher now. And uh, we went to a coffee shop. They had like a hit, little hipster coffee shop right on the main drag there in downtown Hillsboro. And they were trying to uh, bring in a business from St. Louis, and he was wearing the baseball cap of the business they were trying to recruit, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes we couldn't have done that, you know. Yeah. That was an ethical uh, gray area. Fuzzy. But, you know, yeah, but, um, you know, I mean, they really believe in their town, and it's just like it's really important. And it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. Uh, a community newspaper is only as strong as a community. So – and then in the three years I worked on that book, I continued to see things. And this is some of this, a lot of this is during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. They fought the pandemic and they were continuing to build, build, build and develop, develop, develop. And I, that was a bit of serendipity that I didn't expect when I, I started the book. So um, I just saw um, uh, a spirit and a, a soul and a sense of life there that, um, that, the, that the newspaper was really, really involved in, you know, and. You know, I mean, behind the scenes, they were really nice to me. I mean, you, you're, <laughs> hey, it goes a long way, right? <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's a big, there's a big, you know, this, there's a big divide between the Chicago area and Southern Illinois. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. It really, it's historically been that. And they, uh, you know, they let, 
it's in the book. It was very dramatic. I was in there. They let me shadow them on deadline. It turned out to be the night night that everything shut down. The next day, everything shut down because of uh, COVID. They put all the uh, restrictions in place. And I was I was in the newspaper, their newspaper office that line. They let me hang around all night covering deadline. And you know, I just wanted to see what it was like for them to put the paper together. So they let me do that. And they were very, very um, – we just had a really nice book event there in uh, November. And the whole town – it was really emotional for me. The whole town came out. They had like 150 of this place, the Red Rooster, mm-hmm. where the guy from – that's another story. Yeah. The guy from the from Apple, Apple, you yeah. know, the guy mm-hmm. who helps create it. And he goes and opens this. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's a crazy story. And um, and uh, it was just great. You know, the whole town came out and they shot. We got a video of it and they they all brought in free food and the guy served beer. It was just a really, you know, it was it was like it's a wonderful life. And I was just a stranger, just parachuting in there. Right. And they treated me. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I mean, there's a couple of great things there because, and I grew up in a small town, right? And I see, I see a town. I mean, I did a whole fascinating now episode on the history of it. I'll put it in the archives and put a link so you guys can listen to it. But it was, you know, it's a great little town that I think people living there don't take advantage of the things around. There's a town over Wilmington that has a, it has a, two theater, a two screen theater, right? It's called the Mar. Uh, I mean, that's cool to me, right? And and I think a lot of this nostalgic small town stuff is coming back. You know, it's not just tipsters. I think there's a lot of generational stuff. You know, in in this particular town in Hillsboro, it's, you know, it's got nine miles of Route 66, you know, that's pretty yeah, cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's got the small, uh, the last original Route 66 drive-in called The Sky, uh, the last one in Illinois called The Sky. Oh, uh, um, that's pretty cool. I mean, drive-ins are, are make, making a comeback as well. You know, one of the other interesting things about Hillsboro, which I think this adds a lot of credence to what you were saying about, you know, doing a whole book on, on this newspaper in this town, is that John Wright... He lives there. He lives in Hillsboro. He was on the team that invented the iPhone, which, in my opinion, and I, I don't hope this isn't too sensational, this might be the best and worst thing to happen to humanity since Oppenheimer developed the nuclear bomb. Uh, I mean, this, uh, you know, really. I, and, and he lives there. And on top of that, before, before you get into it, he, the iPhone, is almost single-handedly responsible for that proliferation of information, access to Facebook, Twitter, and all the things that are destroying local newspapers. He was the guy leading the team that developed it. That's super interesting. It's an amazing story. That is my favorite part of the book. And um, I had ghost read. I had like two or three ghost readers. And one friend of mine, he's like a head of a journalism think tank in Nashville. And he kept telling me that... um, you should sell this this part of the book as a magazine story to somebody. Mm-hmm. The thing with John Wright is um, he's very, very, you know, because obviously because of his background, he's very, very on the down low. Um, it took me a while to earn his trust. Again, I went down. You don't do this stuff. You know, you got to do this stuff in person. You got to build relationships right. when you're writing a book. Like, you know, you got to take. You know, I had Absolutely. no travel. I had no travel budget for this book. Right. You know, nobody <laughs> right. paid for me to stay in a hotel room and or mileage. But I made the effort to go down there and I. And then, so he, um, yeah, he leads the team uh, to build the iPhone up there in Silicon Valley, grad, graduate of the University of Illinois. Go Illini. Yeah, you know the age better than a young guy. You, you should probably quote me on the age. I don't have the book. At least he's in the 40s or yeah. something. Anyway, makes a lot of money. A lot um, of money. Obviously, it's a lot of, like, makes a lot of money and retires at age something. And he, as a young man, very young man, he goes back to his home. His, his wife is from the immediate area. I believe John's from the Champagne area. Mm-hmm. But she's like from town right next to Hillsboro. So they buy this uh, old hotel that's like 100-something years old. They've been renovating it. They also through the pandemic, like three or four, you call the Red Rooster, a historic place right in downtown Hillsboro. 
And they spent ever since I've met them. When the first time I really sat down with John for a long time was he was restoring the hotel. And, uh, you know, he had a crew, but he was very hands on. His wife was hands on Kendra. They hosted our event. And um, he's turning into a, they're redoing it as a hotel, apartment building. They're doing a brewery in there. It's, uh, who does that in a small town like right. this? You know, they got, they've got two, like, two little nice little breweries in this little small town. So I think that's all going to be up by the end of this year. I think it'll be part of the Smithsonian. certainly going to look at that. I want to a couple of the quick things here that I think are interesting about John is that he doesn't even like phones. He has his newspaper delivered by a paperboy twice a week. He uses a tuner radio uh, to listen to local stations. Uh, he, yeah. his daughter was born the same year as the iPhone was created in 2007. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many interesting little nuggets here that make this such it's, a weird story in that particular town. Well, let me tell you something. Um, so yeah, anyway, last thing I'll say on his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, image there. So yeah, you go through town and everybody goes, you know, they'll go, that's the guy that invented the sure. iPhone. You know, he hates, yeah. he's like, he's really, really, he's like, you know, he just, and so I've kind of left him alone. I've, I, you, you know, when I, when they had the, they hosted our book event down there and um, all I did was keep the conversation on beer and stuff. His wife was on a panel <laughs> where we talked about some, but he doesn't want, you know, he never yeah. really wants to be involved in this book. And that's cool. I understand yeah. what, you know, I understand what, yeah. what, but here's the thing later on in the book, this is what, I think this is fascinating, too. And um, so later on in the book, again, a lot of stuff happened while I was doing the book. And you had the pandemic, which we talked mm-hmm. about. But you also had George mm-hmm. Floyd. OK. Yep. And look what happened with George Floyd. Um, the, the woman or the, well, she was a teenager. I don't know. How she, the woman who mm-hmm. shot that footage of the incident with what happened with George Floyd, she shoots it on her iPhone. OK. Mm-hmm. She, and she gets a Pulitzer Prize. That's, That's crazy. Citizen journalism. Yeah. She and. Then I, what I do have in the book um, is the people, the kids from Hillsborough, okay? Mm-hmm. They see, and I again, my mom's side, if you ask about why I went down there, I know that area also because my mom's side of the family, they were coal miners for the Peabody Coal Mine. So I, I know the mm-hmm. landscape down there. I know the political landscape down there. Very, It is conservative. But these young kids, I'm talking about high school and early college, they see this is all during the George Floyd thing. They see all that stuff on on the iPhone, and so they start doing protests in the little town like Hillsborough. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know solidarity things all because of the iPhone, and it it just blows my mind. And here's the guy that led the team that invented the, the iPhone right in that town. I just think so. I mean, that's again, it's a probably topic for another book, or maybe that book is out there. But the the way that iPhone has um, informed citizen journalism and gotten stories out. You're talking about your grant, you know, to small towns like Hillsborough, yeah. where George you see someone like George Floyd, and it has an immediate impact on these kids in a town like Hillsborough, yeah. and they spring into action and do something, yeah, and they galvanize and get their voices heard. Now, you know, that's you talk about the future of journalism. That's really, really powerful stuff to me. It really is. You know, and I think that that's interesting. And you know, I didn't mean to be sensational when I compared it to the nuclear bomb. I mean, nuclear energy is one of the, you know, it's the current that's the best thing we have. That's the least polluting. Uh, but it also creates weapons of destruction that can destroy humanity. And the same thing is true with the iPhone. I mean, it's gathering people. People are coalescing and fighting for good causes like, you know, uh, the George Floyd, uh, the lack of, of civil rights, the things that are going on. They're able to right social wrongs. And on the other hand, it also creates hate groups that are creating those social wrongs in the first place. You know, uh, the yeah. iPhone is destroying local news by allowing you to read anything you want online and use Twitter, Facebook to get your news instantaneously. 
And on the other hand, it's allowing people to film the things and, and to get access uh, to these types of things that create great news stories and are really informing and being the tools for the next generation of journalists. So, you know, it, it is both the best thing and the worst thing. As, you know, the great Charles Dickens said, it's the best of times, it is the worst of times. You know, yeah. it, it is both yeah. it is both great and amazing. And I love, I, I mean, from a, from a narrative standpoint here, I know you appreciate just how incredible that the town of Hillsborough is, that newspaper, and the fact that the, the inventor of the iPhone is in that town. I mean, that is a great story. Um, you know, that, that does, in some ways, that uh, it does have a better ring to it than the iPad story. But in the purity yeah, of the does. journalism, though, a guy who will buy iPads for everyone in town to read his newspaper is also pretty high on that list, too. Yeah, you know, um, let me say something. You know, uh, the book is getting, not not to pat myself on the back. But no, please, that's, what, that's what you're really supposed to do. Come on, if you're not going to do it, who is? <laughs> I'm the worst promoter in the world, and but the book is getting really good reviews, and people are really liking it. And yeah, some of them are newspaper people, but I wrote it in a, in a conversational way that anybody can find something out of this book. You don't have to be a newspaper junkie, but the tone, and this is you know the tone, it, it, people do say it has a hopeful tone. It's not all doom and gloom. I just think you've got to do. We just touched on two things here: the, the iPhone future and and the iPad mm -hmm. thing. I think if you experiment, and there's that guy Trevor Vernon down. Yeah, he became mayor. He's also the publisher of the paper. And now he's yeah, mayor of his right, small yeah, town in Alton, yeah. Missouri. Yeah. But um, yeah. he's taking chances, and and I think this younger generation in the newspaper industry, at least who are um, the smaller towns where they can really have control without shareholders. You know, I think there's a real, real, real future. You know, I think things. You know, if you think outside the box, I think. It'll navigate its way through. I think it's a hopeful book, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that just 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 news in general, newspapers, news gathering is going through a very a transitional period right now that's lasted a couple of decades, I think. And it's all going to work itself out eventually. We're not going to be stuck in this time. But I think in any transitional period, it feels in some ways feels both hopeful and hopeless at the exact same time. And I think we're still working through all of that. But I think, sure. you know, eventually the people who read newspapers are going to die off. No offense. Uh, newspapers are going to physical newspapers are going to go away. But they make. Are you speaking someone in specific? No, no, no. I mean, not you specifically, but just the, the generation who wants newspapers. And I know you're you're you love newspapers, so I think that they're going to yeah. go away. Technology replaces older. New technology replaces old technology. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know your book has a lot of themes in it, and it, it talks about local newspapers. You talk about this fight. But what I actually found interesting, and this I think you know, hopefully people, you know, if you like this show, you're going to like this type of stuff. But there are some really interesting characters, not to, you know, the two we mentioned are really great. But the News Gazette in Champagne, uh, it was owned by uh, an Italian contessa uh, who was married five times. Uh, last husband was a United was the United Press war correspondent. You know, she inherited the paper. I mean, you know, Roger Ebert started his career, uh, you know. Yeah, and that's like the old Citizen Kane type stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah but there's yeah. you know there's great there's great stories you know that that are are, are like that you know there's um, there's uh, you know Shaw Media is another really interesting one. He's a sixth sixth generation trustee uh, of um, of a newspaper. Uh, there there's. Uh, 
I think that there's there's so many great stories. There's so much to this book that it's not, you know, if you're not into newspapers or the history of newspapers, that's not really what this book is. At least it wasn't to me. Uh, I think there's there's something Good. kind of for Good. everyone in this. And, you know, it's got some great stories about old timey people who've been doing this for so long. So I think, you know, my point is, I think people get a lot out of this book and I think you put a lot into it. Um, and I think you did a great job. Well, thank you. And thanks also again for having me on. And thanks, as I said, before we started, I, I do a lot, I do a good number of these things and I really appreciate the fact, I really respect the fact that you're so well researched. Oh, thank you. I think you right now at this point in time, you know, my book better than I do. Yeah, I feel like I'm a journalist. I'm like a, an honorary member of the journalistic tribe, right? I mean, you know, it goes back to Gaylor, the guy, public, the owner of the Hillsborough paper. Why did I do this book? You know, I'm not going to get rich. This book is intimate. Agate Publishing there in Evanston. They took a chance on it. But um, I, I traveled, you know, Bakersfield, the whole story in Bakersfield. Yeah. I happened to be out in L.A. for another thing. and I But I took the time to drive up to Bakersfield and I spent a couple days. I knew I'd been to Bakersfield before. I'm a big Merle Haggard fan, but um, not, a, not a Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. There's <laughs> but, a lot uh, going on in Baker. Bakersfield, California is where you're talking about. It's very, yeah, a lot going on up there. Another, another newspaper you profile. Of, you're Kevin McCarthy. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, I put a lot of time and money and why did I do this? You know, I wanted to share these stories. Yeah. I'm a, I harvest these. I'm kind of, you know, you're from around here. I'm kind of what Studs Terkel did. Yeah. I, I gather these voices and I gather these interviews and I share them with people. Yeah. You're a cultivator. You're, 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 you find all these, <laughs> these great stories. And you did a great job. And I think, you know, we got to get people this. We got to get it into people's hands. So if people want to find you, want to find this book, how are they going to do it? Because this is a must read. Oh, that's interesting. That guy should have a better answer to that. Um, it's, it's, you know, I hate to say, I mean, it's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Agate Publishing in Evanston, that's A-G-A-T-E. Mm-hmm. You can get it directly from them. Um, I have a website, uh, DaveHoekstra.com, but there's no direct link to it there. What? So, but you can snoop around. It's, it's a Barnes & Noble. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a brick-and-mortar places. I mean, you can go on, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll send you a copy. I don't know how many they have in the stores. But, yeah, they've done a good uh, – the Agate has done a very good job of uh, getting it uh, distributed. So you could ask your local bookstore and find it there, and they'll order it. You know, I don't know if it will be in there physically. But you got it electronically, I did, right? yeah, yeah. But I, 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 got, I got connections. I get, you know, I get – yeah, it's right. a little different for me. I'm 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 not like the peasants. We got to get the book in the peasants' hands. Uh, just kidding. A, easy read. I don't. It's not complicated. It's not real. You know, we had I we went back and forth. I think some people, you know, some publishers and stuff wanted something more of a manifesto on the uh, journalism world and like. And I'm not even though I spent my whole life in journalism. I don't know. There's a lot of. You know, I don't know if I'm equipped to write a whole thesis paper on that. So it's just a collection of voices and people who are fighting a good fight. You know, well, if you want people to read it, I wouldn't do that. But give me your social media. I'm sure you're on. Uh, you got to be on social media. Oh yeah, well I'm on. I'm on. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Although I've been having trouble with Twitter. What are your, well, this. everyone has. What are your handles on those? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dave Hoekstra sixty six is Twitter, I think, and then Facebook's just my name. I, you know, I'm on Instagram for the Camper book, but I haven't been on Instagram. I only did that for the Camper book. I should probably do more Instagram, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Do all that. That's yeah. the new the new generation. You got to get into that. Uh, TikTok. No, we'll, not going to do TikTok. <laughs> no, don't do TikTok. Uh, now, watch this. This is how you do a promo, Dave. Uh, you can find this show, fascinatingnouns.com. Uh, and, of course, we're on social media. Uh, the same place as Dave, uh, believe it or not. But I know my social media handles instantly. Uh, Twitter, uh, we are uh, Fascinating Noun. Facebook, at Fascinating Nouns. And, of course, you can find me on all that. Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram. 
on Twitter, uh, Analytical Mastermind on Facebook, and of course, uh, the Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram. Although, Dave, like you, I don't use it as much. Uh, but but we're going in the meantime, I know you're working on other books. Uh, so until bef- we meet again, you and I are both going to ha- get our social media game in shape. Uh, but until then, I want to thank you so much for being on this show and thank you for doing this book. It's, it's a great historical piece. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on and taking the time to, to understand all this. So thanks. I do, I do what I can. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.